Hey, hey, it is Super Bowl Sunday, and I'm rooting for the same. Oh, but that's right, the Los Angeles Rams. I am here by myself. Scott Menzel is sick. I'm getting over a cold, but that's not stopping me from chatting about Sundance, the SAG Awards, a little suspense, thrills, and chills over at TNT with I Am the Night and that scorching film with Miss Gina Rodriguez called Miss Bala. Stay tuned. <laughs> Hey, hey, it is your girl, Carla Renata, a.k.a. the Curvy Film Critic. I am all alone in the studio today, but that's all right. I got this, and y'all got me, so it's all good. This is the Curvy Critic with Carla Renata here at Black Hollywood Live. We air every Sunday at 5 o'clock Pacific time, and usually I'm here with Scott Menzel, but he is not here today. He's feeling sick. He probably sounds a lot like me, but it's all good. So last week, we were at the... um. Sundance Film Festival, but I wanted to talk about something that went down yesterday. I am a member of the African American Film Critics Association, and we had our special luncheon yesterday at the California Yacht Club, and the recipients were the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist from the New York Times, Wesley Morris, Netflix and former Disney exec, Tendo Agunda, Agenda, sorry baby if I butchered your name. Alana Mayo with the Outlier Society, jazz pianist and pioneer Buddy Bolden, the cast and crew of Crazy Rich Asians, and HBO executive Kelly Edwards, myself, and Jasmine Simpkins were honored enough to present to her. And side note about Miss Kelly, Kelly is responsible for bringing us Martin and living single and girlfriends to TV. So it was, I was especially honored to present that award to her. And last but not least, Oscar-nominated designer for Black Panther, Ruth E. Carter, was one of our honorees. So the AFCA Awards will take place this Wednesday, February 6th. Uh, yeah, February 6th, I believe it is. And I'm looking forward to attending that as I did the LA Online Film Critics Society Awards and so many other awards this awards season. Now, let's get right to it. It is Super Bowl Sunday. I know some of y'all are sitting down with some pizza and popcorn and crudite and beer and margaritas and what have you. But I hope that some of y'all are sitting here with me hanging out with a sister. And listening to what I have to say. So, let me tell you about some Super Bowl picks that you might want to check out after the game is over. Or if you decide your team ain't winning, then you can turn off the game and watch these movies. So, the first one I have to suggest is something called Heaven Can Wait. Um... So we know that the Los Angeles Rams is going up against the New England Patriots. And the New England Patriots are actually featured in this film, which stars Warren Beatty and um, Julie Christie. And it tells the story of a Rams quarterback whose soul has been transferred into the body of a rich man. It's hilarious. Y'all should really check it out. Another football pick that I pulled out of the archives for y'all is Any Given Sunday. It stars Al Pacino, Jamie Foxx, Cameron Diaz, James Woods, Dennis Quaid, LL Cool J, Lauren Holly, and Margaret, and it's directed by Academy Award winner Oliver Stone. It 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 is a behind the scenes look at the life and death struggles of modern day gladiators, aka football players, and those who lead them. As I recall, that was a really good movie and I really enjoyed it. And you know, 
if you know me at all, you know I could care less about anybody's football. I'm a baseball girl myself, so there's that. But I really enjoyed that movie. And last but not least, my Super Bowl pick for this Super Bowl Sunday 2019 is Black Sunday, the story of Black September terrorist group attempting to blow up a Goodyear blimp hovering over the Super Bowl stadium with 80,000 people and the President of the United States in attendance. I've never seen Black Sunday, but that sounds like that might be a lot of fun. I don't know about you, but I might be all over it. Hey, Yasna, hi, Al. I think it's AI Chocolate or Al Chocolate. How y'all doing? Welcome to the podcast tonight. All right, so now that I've given you those Super Bowl picks, I'm going to run right into my next little topic, which is the SAG Awards. This time last week, the SAG Awards were given out here in Hollywood, California, and I just have to make a side note about that. I was really salty that the studio for, for If Beale Street Could Talk could not get the screeners out in time for people to watch the film to nominate my girl, Regina King, so she could win again. So somebody else got a chance. But I'm going to go down the list. Um, Best Actress was Glenn Close for The Wife. She's been dominating this award season, winning every single award show all along thus far. So it's going to be really interesting when we get to the Oscars in a few weeks to see if she can keep up that streak or if somebody bumps her off that crown. Because I believe her and Lady, I think her and Lady Gaga tied for an award show a couple of weeks ago. So it's going to be real interesting to see what goes down. Best Supporting Actress, since my girl Regina King was not in the mix, went to Miss Emily Blunt for A Quiet Place. And Emily Blunt was also nominated for Mary Poppins. So she got to take two out of one, which was really great. And... um Best Supporting Actor went to Mahershala Ali for The Green Book. Best Actor went to Rami Malek. Now, this was the upset of the night because everybody just knew Christian Bale was going to win for Vice because he's been dominating the award season in this category just as Glenn Close has been dominating the award season in her category. But Rami Malek won for Bohemian Rhapsody at the SAG Awards. Now, mind you, the SAG Awards is the Screen Actors Guild Awards and is voted on by the acting community. So we have a little bit more affection toward those that we feel give a good performance as opposed to all the other stuff that can color and cloud the award season, which is why I think Rami probably walked away with that. But the controversy is this kind of made Christian Bale a little uncomfortable because going into the Oscars, he may or may not be the front runner and we may see a tie. We've seen a few ties along the way, but my favorite, favorite win of the night was by far watching black Klansmen take home the SAG award for outstanding cast in a motion picture. They also took it home for the stunt ensemble. I was so glad to see Black Clan, not Black Klansman, Black Panther. Oh my God. Black Panther went get some love because Black Panther is my favorite movie of the year. I was so happy to see Black superheroes. I mean, I was happy to see Black superheroes when Spider Man came on, but I was really happy to see Black Panther. I wrote Black Klansman in my notes. That's why I said the wrong thing, but I meant to say Black Panther. So don't be coming for me online. Black Panther, Black Panther, Black Panther. I love that they won. All right, now, so that's the SAG Awards. Now, let me flip on over to the Sundance Film Festival. I saw so many films. I must have seen about 25 films at the Sundance Film Festival, and I'm not going to go through all 25 here because it'll mean absolutely nothing to you because you haven't seen them yet. But trust me, you will see them on the horizon. The awards were today. 
The grand jury prize winner was one of the films that I saw called Clemency, but I'll talk about that in a minute. I want to talk about these two documentaries that I saw first and foremost. Uh, Actually, I saw three documentaries. The first one I saw was Lorena about Lorena Bobbitt. So if you are old enough to remember about Lorena Bobbitt, Lorena Bobbitt is this woman who claimed to be abused by her husband, John Wayne Bobbitt. And they went to bed one night. And she got pissed off at him because after they had had relations, he did his thing, but he didn't wait for her to do her thing. And she was feeling a little salty about that. So she cut off his, his, uh, you know, private organ and then threw it in the bush and people had to go and retrieve it. Now, this documentary, which has been picked up by Amazon Prime and airs later on this month, is produced by Jordan Peele. And you guys maybe remember Jordan Peele from Get Out, from his wonderful, wonderful success with Get Out. And he has another film coming out later on this year called Us, which is premiering at the South by Southwest um, Film Festival next month. But honey, (laughs) oh my God. Her chopping off his thing. I First of all, when I watched that documentary, what was comical about it, and it's not supposed to be funny because somebody did, you know, have a really tragic thing happen to them. But everybody that speaks about it from the 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 um, ex- executives, the detectives, to Lorena, to John Wayne, everybody that talks about it, talks about it from the vantage point of the fact that they had to throw, she threw his thing in the woods and they had to go find it. It was more comical than it was appalling. But at the end of the day, it sheds a light on domestic abuse and how that may or may not play out. And that was like a man's ultimate nightmare in domestic abuse, abuse, having his little thing cut off. So um, y'all might want to check that out on Amazon Prime. The next documentary that I saw was called Finding Neverland. And it was a documentary about Michael Jackson. Now, I feel very conflicted about this particular documentary, mostly because, hold on, <clears throat> mostly because part of me is really salty about the fact that People in America love to desecrate a memory or a person when they are deceased, when they can no longer speak for themselves. I was annoyed at the fact that this boy went through a trial. He was acquitted from the trial. The two young men that are featured in the documentary were his biggest cheerleaders when the trial was going on and said that he was innocent and that he wasn't guilty. And now that Michael Jackson is dead, they have come out with this documentary saying, oh, he sexually abused me. And I mean the the degree and the ends to which they describe the sexual abuse allegedly um, performed by Michael Jackson, if indeed, if it indeed is true, it's disgusting, it's disturbing, it's I can't even find enough adjectives to describe what that is. It just, it made me very, very uncomfortable. But part of me feels like these young men may not necessarily be telling the truth. And here's why. There's one moment where one of the young men has a jewelry box and they look so identical as children and as adults that in the documentary, I had a hard time keeping track of which one was which. But this one young man has a jewelry box with these gold rings in it that he says that Michael Jackson gave to him while after he performed sexual favors. This is what this young man alleges. 
I'm like this. If somebody attacked me or took advantage of me in a sexual manner that I did not consent to and gave me any kind of quote-unquote trophy, there's no way in hell I would be holding on to it. And he had the nerve to look at the box and go, oh, I... It's really hard for me to look at these. Really? It's not that hard for you to look at them because you still got the jewelry box. You still got the rings in the jewelry box. It's not that hard for you to look at them because you still have them. So that kind of makes me go like this with one eye open. Like, are y'all telling the truth? I'm not so sure. But the one thing that kind of makes me feel like it might possibly be true is the fact that, like I said earlier, these two young men look very similar in their their physical appearance as children when they met Michael and as adults as they continue to deal with Michael Jackson. That's the only thing that kind of has me with one eye open going, if this is true, then this these guys kind of looking the same would prove that he kind of has a type, like anybody has a type when it comes to being attracted to other people. We all have a type. I got a type. You know, I like um, caramel-colored bald men. Everybody's got a type. But I feel like he might have had a type, and that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Now, the the film did get a standing ovation at Sundance. It was four hours long. I did not stay and watch it for four hours. I left after two hours. And P.S., there was a whole drove of people that left before me. So I'm really not quite sure who was left to give the standing ovation because there was, like, at least 25 people that left before I did, and I left at the two-hour mark. So I don't know who was left after four hours, but bless them. I couldn't do it. I, You know, and this is the thing. I loved Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson was a wonderful artist. He was a genius musician. There's nobody, There will never be anyone else like him before or since. But having said that, if indeed... What these young men say he did is true, then I'm really glad that he is no longer on this earth to go through that a humiliation again. And as as a fan of his, I just would prefer to remember him the way that he was. I am wholeheartedly sorry for his family that they have to relive this nightmare again. But, you know, with these kind of documentaries, they're very tabloidish in nature. They're very sensationalist. And I just don't, it's not entertainment to me. It's more like a character assassination. And, and that's, at the end of the day, I felt like Leaving Neverland was a character assassination on Michael Jackson. And I think it's, um, is very disrespectful, and that's how I feel about that. The last documentary that I saw was uh, a documentary called Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang Clan of Mikes and Men. Now, if you're not familiar with Wu-Tang, this was a group of brothers that grew up in the hood in New York, about 10 of them. Like, when they came, it literally was like a gang of dudes. Um, the most famous ones that you might recognize would be RZA and Method Man. But these dudes, they rolled deep. Ten of them rolled deep. And they stuck with each other. Unlike um, Straight Outta Compton with N.W.A., you know, fame and money and contracts kind of blew them apart. But these dudes, Wu-Tang Clan was like, look, either we all roll or none of us roll. And they have kept that up 
to this day, from their inception to this day. The documentary was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. It was wonderful to get to know these men a little bit better, to know their private lives, to know how they all came together as a group, to know what they're going through now, to know what they went through between the time they started the group and now. It was really, really wonderful. And a great spin on the hip-hop world that we haven't seen. It wasn't about guns and violence. It literally was about these young men and their lives and what they had to go through. And apparently, I'm not the only one who loved it because it got rave reviews at Sundance and Showtime has already picked it up to air on their channel. So, next up, I want to talk about the Mustang. This is the thing, before I get into the Mustang now, Sundance Film Festival this year was so wonderful to attend because it was they had an inclusion um, initiative that Sundance um, instituted this year. And that meant what that means is most of the people that would go to Sundance up until this year would mostly be a bunch of white people. I'm sorry. It was. It was just a bunch of white people. This year, there were a bunch of Asian, Latina, African-American. I even saw some a whole contingency of African-American deaf film critics. I went to the day one press conference and was about to jump up for joy and do a cartwheel down Main Street because I saw, usually when I go to that press conference, and this was my sixth year going, I'm usually the only person, not the only person, I'm usually like one of, maybe five to 10 people that I see at that press conference, maybe. And usually five to 10 people that I usually see at the Sundance Film Festival in whole, other than the talent and the producers and the directors and the people that are there holding panels or the people that I see at the Black House. Shout out to the Black House. But this year, when I went to the press conference... It was just black people for days. I was like, hi, how you doing? I was so excited. It was great. So 63% of the attendees at the Sundance Film Festival were people of color. And it was exciting. It was it was just wonderful. I, I just can't say enough about it. And over 40% of the films that were submitted and, for, and over 40% of the films that were um admitted into the Sundance Film Festival were directed by women. And one of those films that I saw was a film called The Mustang, and it was directed by Laura de Clermont-Tonietti. It is about these wild horses, Mustangs, and these men that are inmates in prison. And apparently there is a program called the Wild Horse Program that mostly... um, is found on the western part of the United States, but it's called the Wild Horse Program. And what they do is they pair these inmates up with these wild horses, and these inmates that they pair them up with are usually the most violent inmates that they have. I mean, they are... They have been convicted of the most heinous crimes you could possibly imagine. And they pair them up with these horses and they teach them how to tame these horses, how to break them down so that they can be sold during the Wild Horse Inmate Program auction. Roman is the star is the star character of this film and Roman and this horse have a relationship like any human being in an animal like you and your dog or you and your cat in this particular case it's a prison inmate and a horse and they end up finding the most horrible violent part of themselves being tamed by each other it was a beautiful film it had me in the ugly cry 
Oh, I can't say enough about it. I really hope that somebody picks that film up from the festival and distributes it um, with a nationwide release because it deserves it. I have an interview that I did with Laura that I will throw up on Black Hollywood Live later on this week. I wasn't able to get that together for today because, as you can hear, I still have a little laryngitis happening from Sunday, so it's all good. But that film was Mustang. The next film that I saw was Clemency. And as I said, Clemency was the grand jury prize winner at the Sundance Film Festival today. Today is the last day of the festival. So what they do is they show all the best of the week. The last 10 days, all those films that were the best of for the last 10 days, they show all those films today. So they are screening something as we speak. But Clemency is a film that is directed by yet another woman called, uh, and please forgive me if I butcher your name, but you know I'm your champion, girl, Chinoya Chukwu. And she is the director of Clemency, which stars Alfre Woodard, Wendell Pierce, Danielle Brooks, Aldous Hodge. When I tell you this movie right here. It human. How many times have you seen a film that centers around, you know, somebody getting executed or the justice system or a prison break or anything involving that? Right. So clemency deals with this warden, Bernadine Williams, played by Alfre Woodard. And her difficulties in trying to navigate having that job and keeping those prisoners safe while navigating her feelings toward having to execute people, you know, every couple of months or so. She's gone through 12 executions, and Mr. Woods, who's played by Aldous Hodge, will be her 13th. Alfre Woodard, I really hope that this film makes it through award season next year because Alfre Woodard is giving a career best performance in this film. She's absolutely fantastic. Aldous Hodge, absolutely fantastic. Wendell Pierce, absolutely fan-freaking-tastic. But the person you want to keep your eyes out for, other than the ones I mentioned, is Danielle Brooks. Now, if you're not familiar with her name, Danielle Brooks plays Tasty on Orange is the New Black. If you thought you saw what she could do on Orange is the New Black on Netflix, or if you saw her on Broadway in The Color Purple and you think you know what the scope of this young woman's acting range is, I'm here to tell you, you're not ready for her in clemency. You're really not. You're not ready for her. She is bringing it with that entire cut. This was the strongest cast in a feature film at Sundance I saw the whole time I was there. And I saw a lot of movies. So I really want to champion them and hope that they get some love. Another film that had a fantastic cast was Native Son. Now, Native Son is the film adaptation of Richard Wright's novel by the same name. Native Son, if you've read it, I read it when I was in college It is a very disturbing book. It is not for the faint of heart, and neither is this film. There are some parts of this film that you really are not going to be ready for. But Native Son is necessary, it's raw, it's gritty, and the performances by Kiki Lane, Sanaa Lathan, and Ashton Sanders. Now, you might know Ashton from his role in Moonlight. You're not ready for Ashton, and you're not ready for Kiki in Native Son. Native Son rubbed a lot of people the wrong way at Sundance, and it didn't get very good reviews. It got a rave review for me because I loved it. And P.S. and shout out to HBO, who hosted a dinner for a private intimate dinner with the cast, the director, Rasheed Johnson, and the screenplay writer, 
Susan Laurie Parks, who you may know her name from Top Dog, Underdog, and Pork, the revival Pork and Best. She's a Tony Award winner. I want to see this film. I want to champion this film through the next award season as well. It's difficult. It's awkward to watch, but it's necessary. They take it out of the 1940s where Richard Wright placed it in the book and brought it into modern-day Chicago. So Ashton Sanders' character has green hair. He's wearing punk clothes. Kiki Lane is working and, and running a hair salon. But at the end of the day, this young man is wanting to get out of the hood. He does. He is on his way to doing so when his stepfather gets him a job working for a really wealthy white family, and that's when things go terribly awry for him. It's it's really really um it's a mind blowing film, mind blowing, and you are not ready for it, and you need to get ready for it because it's really going. It's gonna rock your world when you see it. Um, let me see. What else did I want to talk about? The Farewell, another film directed by a woman, directed by Lulu Wang and starring Aquafina. Aquafina has been killing it with Crazy Rich Asians and Ocean's 8. She's been killing it. But again, you will not be ready for the performance that she gives you in The Farewell. The Farewell is dealing with the matriarch of this Chinese family is dying. She's got stage four cancer and the family in true Chinese culture has decided not to tell her that she's sick or that she's dying, which I think is hilarious because we kind of do that in the African-American community too. If we know and the person that has whatever it is that they have doesn't know, we try to keep it under wraps because we don't want them to succumb to the thinking of, oh, I'm sick, now I'm going to act sick. So I thought it was hysterical that the Chinese do that too. But this movie was unexpectedly funny. But it takes a turn at the end. I'm not going to tell you because it will come out. I'm pretty sure it's been picked up by a studio. It will come out. You will see it. And that last chapter of that film will have you in an ugly cry. Again, The Farewell by Lulu Wang. I saw another film called The Last Black Man in San Francisco <laughs> starring Tashina Arnold, Jimmy Fells, and Jonathan Majors, who you guys might remember from White Boy Rick. I interviewed him. He's a wonderfully gifted uh, intelligent young uh, man of color. I really enjoyed speaking with him and I really enjoyed his performance in this film, which deals with gentrification in the Bay Area and it also deals with friendships and, and dreams that these two young men who are friends, the most unlikely of friends, they have these dreams and these these goals in life that neither one of them will ever see fulfilled. But the main gist of this film is gentrification and it probably was one of the best films at Sundance that was not directed by a woman it actually was directed by some white men so there you have that Blinded by the Light was a delight it deals with this Pakistani boy who when he runs into um, another classmate who happens to be a fan of Bruce Springsteen, it changes his world. He lives his whole life by Br Bruce Springsteen lyrics. Th I could easily see this movie being a Broadway musical a la um, Billy Elliot or something like that. It was so great and it was so unexpected and I really, really enjoyed it. Blinded by the Light is the name of that film. Last but not least, I saw another documentary. I left this one off the list at the start because I wanted to end with this one. But Toni Morrison. Toni Morrison is a fellow alum of my alma mater, Howard University. She's written books like Sula, The Bluest Eye, Beloved, Paradise. The list goes on and on and on and on. But I became a fan of hers when I was a student at Howard University in one of my lit literary classes. 
And I've been a fan ever since. I have every last one of her books. And this documentary is called The Pieces I Am. The Pieces That I Am. And it shows every single piece of Toni Morrison. You learn things about her that I didn't know. Like, I didn't know that she was an editor. I didn't know that she edited books for Angela Davis, of all people, who speaks to her, speaks on her behalf in the film. It's a really wonderful tribute to a really wonderful literary African-American female icon. I was, I'm proud that she and I have the, the distinction of attending and graduating from the same higher learning institution. HBO has picked up this film, and I believe it hits HBO in March or April. So when it hits HBO in the spring, please check it out. You will really, really love it. So that is my recap of the Sundance Film Festival. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that. Because I sure did. <laughs> now that I've talked about the Sundance Film Festival, I want to play this interview that I did with one of our Oscar nominees. His name... Okay. His name is um, Powell Pawakowski. And Powell is the director of a film called Cold War. Cold War is loosely based on his parents and their relationship, which was volatile at best. He is now an Oscar-nominated director. He wasn't when I spoke to him. He's now Oscar-nominated. And he talks to me about the film, how the film came to fruition, about this volatile relationship with his parents that he has taken and put onto film. He talked to me about his leading lady, Joanna Kulig, who I actually spoke to her as well, and um, the power of unrequited love and, and how that can really ruin a relationship, strengthen a relationship. You never really know. So um, we'll get back to that in a minute. But while we are still on the air, I'll go ahead and talk about TNT's I Am The Night. So I Am The Night is a six-part limited series on TNT, which deals with the Soden House. So if you are familiar with the Soden House, the Soden House is this house that if you live in Los Angeles, you drive by it all the time. It's on Franklin Avenue. It is this big it's so funny because it's this big ginormous mansion in the middle of like a normal residential neighborhood. It totally doesn't even look like it fits there, but it totally is there. And George Soden is this George Soden. The Soden house was owned by George Hodel. George Hodel had a granddaughter named Fauna Hodel. And that's what TNT's I Am The Night is about. I'm going to get back to that in a minute. I'm going to let you listen to this interview with Powell Pawakowski right now. Hey, hey, it's your girl, Carla Renata, a.k.a. The Curvy Film Critic. Cold War is a film that really warmed my heart. I am a sucker for a love story, especially an unrequited love story, and one that is based on the true love story of Powell Pawkowski's parents. Listen to this conversation that we had about their relationship, his leading lady, Joanna, 24 takes, and how infusing humor into a black and white love story during the Cold War worked really, really well. Take a listen. Let me just first out get it off my chest by saying I really adore this film. 
It's one of my favorites of this year. And I have a lot of favorites, but I love this one simply because it deals with the subject of unrequited love over a 15-year period of time. And I know that the film was dedicated to your parents. And if there was any parallels between your parents and Victor and Zula. Quite a lot of parallels. But, but, yeah, I mean, that's where it came from. You know, they had a, a kind of disrupted, tempestuous relationship, marriage, or marriages, because they split up and got together again. And so, very much so. And they ended up in a similar fashion, but after 40 years of just turmoil. And there's a lot of parallels. You know, she, Zula was 17 when she met him. He was 10 years younger. He looked like an authority figure. Mm-hmm. Then they fought. They, they got together. They fought again. <laughs> then they left the country separately, married other people, and then they got back together. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly the relationship was different. You know, he was no longer the authority figure. So, you know, there are a lot of parallels, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but in the end, they got together after all this turmoil, because they knew that they were there was nobody in the world who they who knew them as well as the other. So in the end, they were just too tired to fight. <laughs> as well, and, uh, and it was a great love story in the end. You know, I watched it as a, the only child and a little bit you know irritated or shocked or you know I had a life of my own even you know I was a kid. But I thought, what? How irritating? How stupid? How you know? How nasty? You know? It looked awful at times. You know? And then and then at the end when I visited them in Munich where they di- when they died. In 1989, before the Cold War ended, you know, so they never saw the end of the Cold War. But they were like this beautiful love couple, you know, they held hands and they were so warm to each other. So it was a great love after all. But it didn't look at, uh, it didn't look at... Uh, in the, in the real in the time. Process, no? Yeah, yeah. It reminded me very much of, you know that film, Wuthering Heights? Yeah. It reminds yeah. it reminds it has elements to me of Wuthering Heights, that Kathy yeah. and Heathcliff relationship yeah. and that relationship between Rhett Butler and yeah. Scarlett O'Hara and, oh, yeah. and Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Like those two relationships like thrown yeah. into one remind me very much of Victor and um Zula. Oh, Doctor Zhivago is another yes, one. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but I love yeah, it. But that's, I that's it. also like his history, you know, they were like they were like big, big obstacles to love in the past. You know, they still are now, but nowadays you have kind of internet, multiple choice, you know. <laughs> right. You know, this one and that one. You know, right. like, you know, algorithms, you know, the perfect partner for you. <laughs> right. Match.com and all that. Is like, like, if they went through internet, they should have, they would have never got together. These right. Days, this, <laughs> she would have been like, yeah, that's not the dude no, for me. No, I think no, I'm no. going to stay away from him for a minute. The music is like a third character yeah. in this film. You're dealing with the Polish folk music, and then you bring in jazz, and yeah. there's even a little bebop yeah. with Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley and the Commas yeah, yeah, a little yeah. toward the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Why was it so important for you to make the music like a third character in this picture? Well, I didn't think of it as very... It wasn't intentional. It wasn't the plan to make a film of folk music, but because both of them... You know, their profession is music, both of them. Yes. And they get together because of music through this folk ensemble. Then when that was in this script, when it came up with that, then that opened all possibilities with the music. You know, you could take the same tunes, make very primitive folk music, then kind of <laughs> orchestrated folk music, state-sponsored folk ensemble, then jazz, then chansons. Then... And I love music and films. I mean, I don't, I'm not talking about especially composed music, but just... Mm. Music as a presence in the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's always a great thing. And here I could really let myself go, you know. It really offered all sorts of possibilities. You know? I loved it so much. Oh, and I forgot to say congratulations on your new your film Critics, Critics. Circle yeah. Award. Yeah, nice. congratulations yeah. on that. There was a quote in the film that really struck me, and it said, time doesn't matter when you're in love. Yeah. What does that mean for you? 
Well, I mean, the poetess who says it, you know, she, uh, she's a bit pretentious, you know. I mean, <laughs> I, uh, so that's, you know, I'm saying, I'm kind of used just to irritate Zula, you know. <laughs> she's like, okay, what is this metaphor? What's a metaphor, you know? Mm. Like she explained. No, I wouldn't take it too seriously. I mean, but it's true. I mean, you know, when you're in love, you don't notice time passing, you know, you're in some kind of, you're out of history, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you know you're, you're out of the current of time. You know? Yeah, you're kind of isolated true. in your own world, yeah. But here, it, it's sort of true, but also I wanted it to sound pretentious, you know, like coming out, it did. out of this, of <laughs> it this did. French woman. Right? Which brings me to my next point. With a film like this, it's very easy for it to be very serious. Yeah. You know, it's, it's taking place during a very specific portion of the Cold War, which in itself is a very serious subject, yeah. but there are a lot of jokes yeah. in the movie which made me laugh out loud. That Good. quote was one of them. Another one that made me laugh out loud is when um, his lady friend asked him, are you whoring around? And he's like, I don't have enough money to whore around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then he asked, I was with the woman of my life, which right. sounds ironic. And, and then she rolls up and she's like, okay, oh. good, I'm going to sleep. Oh, exactly. That was so funny to me. And yeah. there were numerous moments like yeah. that peppered throughout it's the script. more than anything, yeah. Yeah. What made you gravitate toward making those moments, putting those moments in that were that lightened up the subject matter a little bit? Well, I just that's how I am. I mean, that's I do that all the time. <laughs> like, I can't be 100% serious, even when it's very serious, you know, and uh, and I can't imagine also watching a film that doesn't have a, a dose of humor in it, you know. I, I find humorlessness... I kind of uh, love you for that. I, I, uh, humorlessness is a killer. <laughs> especially, uh, especially if you deal with serious stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. Don't, don't deal with it all kind of, you know. Yeah, like, I seriously was laughing out loud at some of the Good. things that... I'm that... glad, because I was afraid... Because in Poland, films opened some time ago, and... Um, and people laugh, you know, because they kind of, I mean, even even better without subtitles, you kind of get it, you know, much faster. But I was worried, you know, these screenings here, that it's a black and white film, serious stuff, you know, tragic landscape, history, that people will take it too seriously, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just always, I don't go and watch this film, I'm asking people who've seen it, do mm-hmm. people laugh in the auditorium? Yeah, I'm telling you, I laughed out loud. It was well, funny you're, to you're me. You're my- <laughs> It was it was funny to me. I was laughing out loud. I was like, oh, and it was unexpected. I wasn't expecting that, so that was a very pleasant surprise for me. And well, this communist apparatchik is quite funny. Mm-hmm. You know, this married mm-hmm. when he says, you know, his texts are very funny. Like, it's it's hysterical. I laughed out loud. What was it about Joanna? I just spoke with her, and she said that you, that you chose her for this yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. What was it about Joanna that made you go? She has to play Zula. A lot of things, you know. She's got, first of all, she's very charming and she is very genuine. She's got a similar temperament to Zula, the way I imagined it and the way my mother was, more or less. A live wire, you know. She can go this way, that way, you know. She's fidgety all the time. She's got this kind of thing. Also, she sings very well. That was crucial. So when I was kind of writing, I kept imagining her being doing this stuff, you know. Would she get up, you know, say, you know, when she tells him, she informs on him, you know, he's, he kind of walks off and she gets up and says, come on, Victor, oh, fuck you. <laughs> right. <laughs> she changes direction, throws herself into the river. Another moment that was hilarious. <laughs> right. This uh, is know, the thing. So that's, that, you know, she's got some of that. This is the thing that was fascinating to me. So when I was speaking to Joanna, I was specifically talking to her about the scene where Victor comes to see her in the ballet, so to speak, mm-hmm. and she's spotting using him as yeah. the, the momentous yeah, yeah, yeah. to spot. She said that y'all take that scene 24 times. Uh, the scene where she's dancing and looking, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Because she said, when she said that you did that yeah, 24 times. I did a lot of scenes, but that was such a tricky scene because there's so many 
elements to it, but maybe. No, but maybe I was like, why so many takes? I'm not sure, maybe with cross-purposes, you know, because that scene, they were too tired to do many takes, you know. They, they really That's what danced. she said. Yeah, I don't know, not 24. Some scenes were 24, <laughs> She's like, he likes to take 24, 25 takes. I was like, oh. But this. also, it's very, it was a difficult scene, you know. It's like to actually time her look and to believe in it. She didn't know that dance very well, you know. So in most of the takes, she fluffed her, you know, even before she's supposed to fluff them. You know, she fluffs <laughs> it later because she's confused. No? But like, she'd learned to dance, you know. It was a big challenge. So no, basically, there were technical problems with the scene. Okay. In this case, I can say it uh, quite honestly, that it was very difficult to... <laughs> dance and perform uh, with her face. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for taking time out to speak with me. This is really one of my favorites. Thank I'm you. a big old softy when it comes to love stories and, and this will go down as one of my historical favorites of all time. So thank, thank you. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank Powell Powakowski for taking some time to sit down and talk to me. He's actually a very funny dude with such a serious subject matter for a film. Cold War is in theaters right now and has been nominated for a plethora of awards. Trust me, you don't want to miss this one. This is your girl, Carla Renata, a.k.a. The Curve film critic love peace and hair grease until the next time i loved i loved i loved i loved i loved talking to powell powakowski he was hilarious and i'm so excited for him and his oscar nomination so let me flip on back over and finish talking about um i am the night on tnt it stars chris pine golden brooks and let me tell you something golden brooks in i am the night Again, giving a career best performance, career best performance. Y'all are used to seeing her on sitcoms. She was one of my co-stars on Heart of Dixie. You, y'all used to seeing her on Girlfriends. You have not seen Golden Brooks like you're going to see her in I Am The Night. Check it out on TNT. It's a six-part miniseries. I think one of them aired last night. There may be one airing tonight, but please, please, please check it out on TNT. It deals with the story of Fauna Hodel, the granddaughter of George Hodel, who is the presumed killer of the Black Dahlia. So if you like thriller, suspense, um, intrigue, if you're obsessed with the Black Dahlia like I am, you will love TNT's I Am The Night. All right. Last but not least, for this edition of The Curvy Critic with Carla Renata, I want to talk about Miss Bala. Miss Bala stars Gina Rodriguez. Y'all know her from Jane the Virgin on the CW, Miss Golden Globe winner. Let me tell you something. It was really nice to see Gina Rodriguez hold her own in a film being like this action diva in this red dress strutting honey, shooting shooting up people and doing her thing. I'm not going to tell you the premise of the film, but the bottom line is she goes to Mexico after not being there for a minute to spend some time with her good girlfriend, Suzu, and Suzu ends up getting kidnapped. Gina has to find her and shenanigans ensue. I wish that the film was a little shorter. I wish it was a better film for Gina. It wasn't a bad film. It was okay. I just wish that it was a stronger film that matched the strongness and the 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 powerful presence that she brings to it on the screen so that is my review of a really abbreviated review of miss bala it is in theaters right now 
You can check that out and let me know what you think about Ms. Bala and Gina Rodriguez when we hit it back next week. I want to take some time out now to shout out the fans that have been sticking with me today on my little solo journey of the curvy film critic, Al Chocolate and Yasna Caviaris. Thank you so much for hanging in there with us, sister. I appreciate you. And for all of those who will see it after we have taped live, I appreciate you as well. You know that I do. I also want to let you guys know that all of the reviews that I do here on the Curvy Critic with Carla Renata can always be seen here live at 5 o'clock Pacific time or you can see the written versions at my site, thecurvyfilmcritic.com. I'm now a Rotten Tomato, Tomato Meter approved critic, so you can see my reviews on Rotten Tomatoes under Carla Renata or the Curvy Film Critic. And you can also, you know, just hang out here with a sister at five o'clock, like I said before. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, I missed Scott Menzel. It was hard pulling this off by myself. It was scary. I wasn't so sure I could do it, but I I did it. And so now I don't have this fear anymore of talking on camera by myself about movies. It was all good. So let me know how you're doing out there. Let me know how you liked the show Uh, with me, you know, in the helm by myself, because that was interesting. Um, As always, give us a shout out on iTunes, Spotify, The Curvy Critic with Carla Renata. Remember that we were formerly Black Tomatoes. We are no longer Black Tomatoes. We are now The Curvy Critic with Carla Renata. So I will see you guys next week. We'll have a good time. I'll have some guests here. Shangela, a.k.a. DJ Pierce, was supposed to be here with me this week to talk about A Star is Born, but he'll be here next week, and I'll have an interview with India Moore from FX's Pose at that time. Right up next, you'll find me over at After Buzz TV doing the GA after show where we have Carolyn Hennessy who plays Diane on General Hospital as a guest. Until the next time, this is your girl, Carla Renata, a.k.a. The Curvy Film Critic. You can find me across all social media platforms at The Curvy Critic. And until next week, love, peace, and hair grease. Deuces. <laughs> From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us, info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio, Instagram me, at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. Hollywood Redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host owner and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.